Welcome to McGonigal's Chronicles, Making Montana Connections. I'm KRTV KXLH anchor Tim McGonigal. In its illustrious history, Montana has seen its share of disasters. From the 1949 Mangulch Fire to the 1989 Helena train explosion, the flood of 1964 on the Blackfeet Reservation, to a 1962 plane crash that killed Montana Governor Donald Nutter, and the list goes on. Some of the state's most notable and not so well-known disasters are the subject of a new book, Montana Disasters, True Stories of Treasure State Tragedies and Triumphs. It's written by Butch Larkham. He's a fourth-generation Montanan from Malta. Larkham, a longtime Montana journalist, says there's no yardstick to measure a disaster, that it's in the eye of the beholder. When compiling the collection, he says he looked for events with interesting human stories. The end result is nearly 250 pages of remarkable detail and amazing photographs recalling some of Big Sky Country's darkest moments. Here's our conversation with author Butch Larkham. Before we get into that book, I guess, uh, tell me, Butch, uh, a little bit about your background for people who, who might not be aware of that. Sure. I, I grew up up in, on the High Line in Malta, Montana, where my family owned a weekly newspaper, the Phillips County News. Um, I went to college at U of M and was a social studies teacher for five years down in the Bitterroot Valley. And then I went back to school and took some journalism classes and um, ended up working. You know, I worked my first full time job was with the Missoulian newspaper. I worked up in the Flathead where I live now. And but also then moved to Great Falls and spent 18 years more or less working for the Great Falls Tribune Then went to Helena. I was the editor of Montana Magazine, which was owned by Lee Enterprises. And and toward the end of that stint is at Montana Magazine, I also became the managing editor of the independent record in Helena. And then my final job, full time job was working for Northwestern Energy um, in corporate communications. Okay. So obviously a passion for writing has been uh, in your background for, for a long time, dating back to the parents owning the, the newspaper up there in Phillips County. Uh, so now you've written this book. I know it's your second book, uh, at least your second book, I guess. But uh, this, this one is interesting, and it's about uh, Montana disasters. Why Butch write a book on uh, Montana disasters? <laughs> yeah, well, that's a good question. It, it sounds kind of ghoulish or... Um you know, morbid or, but, you know, it really isn't, I, I guess, well, a couple of the things that I spurred me is I wrote a couple stories for a magazine called Montana Quarterly about, one of them was about the flood of 1964. And, and I really enjoyed digging into that and finding out more about that event, which I had heard about when I was a kid, but didn't really know any of the details. And then, it, then I ended up doing another magazine story about the Custer Creek train wreck, which is out, Custer Creek is out east of Mile City. That was in 1938. So, you know, it kind of went from there. And um, I, I, I kind of got the idea for the book. And then I started digging around to doing research on other possible topics. And what it really it turned out to me is that these are all interesting events in Montana history and ones that are worth remembering. And I thought by doing a book and doing some, trying to do good research around them that it would help people remember them, you know, down the road. Well, the book is called uh, Montana Disasters, True Stories of uh, Tragic Treasure State Tragedies and Triumphs. And when we hear about Montana disasters or think about disasters, I mean, there's the ones that stand out and we think of like the, the destruction that's kind of left behind. But one of the interesting things, I think, in the title, you talk about uh, the triumphs, too. Uh, tell me, uh, was it as important to, to include the, the triumphs and the stories of those cities and areas uh, rebuilding and 
getting back to getting back to normal uh, after those tragedies? Well, sure it is. And, you know, I guess a couple examples. Um, well, some of the triumphs I think would, would be on the more on the personal level. Some of the people I interviewed who experienced or involved in some of these events kind of use their experiences, these traumatic experiences to kind of help them move forward in life and lead positive lives and just have a different outlook, you know, and maybe feeling a little more grateful that things turned out the way they did. And, and then on the broader sense, um, you know, there are a lot of good things. I think there's a couple stories about mine disasters in the book. And I think the awareness and need for mine safety was improved dramatically after those events. Um, similarly with some of the wildfire events, you know, while fighting wildfires in the early days was a pretty hazardous occupation and people didn't have much training. And after people saw how dangerous it was, I, they, they slowly adopted better training and better standards for firefighters. And, you know, we don't see these uh, firefighter fatalities nearly as often as we did. Yeah. Butch, uh, how many uh, disasters do you highlight and how did you go about narrowing it down to well, there's probably about 25 full accounts of disasters and then with references and short passages on some others, you know, kind of broken down by topic. Um, it wasn't easy to narrow it down. I'm not, I'm not going to pretend that this is a, it's not a list of the worst disasters and there, there's no yardstick that's used to measure a disaster. You know, a, a disaster is in the eye of the beholder. And, mm -hmm. um, but I look for ones where there are, thought there was an interesting human story around the event and tried to get in contact or at least recall the experiences of the people that were involved. So put a human face on these stories. And so that, that was my kind of my guiding thing. And in some cases that worked out pretty well. In some cases it was a little harder. Yeah. Do these disasters uh, date back to like when Montana became a state or does it go back to back when it was a territory or how, how far do we go back? When I, I think the oldest disaster is a, a warehouse explosion in Butte in 1895. Okay. Which was a pretty remarkable event in itself. But then I, then there's a train wreck from 1900 or 1901. And then they just kind of unfold over the decades since then. There, there were a lot of tragic events in the 1930s in Montana during the Great Depression. And doing the research it just reminded me in the highlighted to me that Montana, it was really a difficult time in Montana during those years as it was across the country, but in a big rural state like Montana, people seem to struggle maybe even a little more than people in more populated areas. Are there uh, uh, any disasters that uh, really, uh, I guess, maybe struck you as, uh, I mean, because we hear about disasters and we think of like the Quake Lake and we, we think of, uh, uh, you know, the Man Gulch fire, I know that I think is, is highlighted in the book and some of the ones that maybe garner more headlines, but uh, what, what are some of the ones that people might, uh, might be surprising to people or uh, that, they, that they might not know about? Yeah, and some of those are actually some of my favorite stories to know because they are lesser known. Um, well, there were several. There was, in 1932, there was a wildfire up west of Shoto on the Rocky Mountain front where some firefighters were killed and it was a pretty sad event. They, they, these guys were not trained and they were recruited from Great Falls and they got up to Shoto and were led into the woods and the guy dropped them off and said, you know, wait here, I'll be back. I got to go talk to the, some fire boss kind of guy. And before they get back, the flames come towards them and the, the five of them were killed. Um, and just 
just very poor luck on their part. And, and similarly, in 1950, uh, the Browning High basketball team was playing a game in Eureka, and it had been a very cold winter, and they took a train from Browning to Eureka and played Eureka that night, won the game, and stayed in a local hotel in the middle of the night. Uh, the boiler in the hotel blew up and set the hotel on fire, and many of the team, member, team members were able to escape by jumping out of second-story windows into snowbanks, and they actually almost threw their coach through the a window to get him out because he wanted to stay and look for other players. But as it turned out, two of their teammates were lost in a fire and three other people died in that fire. And, you know, it's just a kind of a poignant small town story that really sticks with me. Yeah. And I know, I believe on the cover of the book is a picture of the uh, Helena train crash in, in 1989. And that was, uh, I remember on a day that was like 30 below, it was just terrible. And uh, what do you remember about that one and what maybe did you learn as you uh research for this book uh about that um well i remember being very cold i was working in great falls at the time at the tribune and i think the day before in great falls we lost power for an extended period of time due to other events you know problems with the the power grid and but then that next morning the train broke loose and rolled down into helena with that incredible explosion and I guess I wasn't there, but I, I did kind of learn in talking to people and reading about it that it, it just the uh, how scary and apocalyptic that morning and day was in Helena. And it's something that people still talk about today. When I've told people in Helena, I was working on a book about Montana disasters. That's the first thing that they mentioned is you can write about the train explosion. And, and so I did. Um, but, you know, another thing, you know, there was good that came from that. It, it, the explosion highlighted the, maybe some deficiencies in their disaster and emergency preparedness plans and also in their emergency communication systems. And I think those have been rectified. So there, there were some lessons and some advancements that came from that. Okay. Uh, and who all did you talk to uh, as you did these? I mean, I, you probably went through archives and newspaper articles, but uh, again, I think you said you, you talked to people um, just how, how neat was that to, to talk to some of these, uh, I don't know, you want to call them old timers, I guess, but, uh, people who, who lived through maybe some of these events. Um, yeah, most of them are, you know, most of these are decades ago. So the, uh, the folks that were involved that I was able to find are definitely a little bit older. Um, you know, I talked to a, a guy who lives in Great Falls who witnessed the the explosion of the train and belt in 1976 and you know he told me a very personal story about how his family lost his house and you know he was suffered some minor burns but he talked about knowing the people that were more severely burned and a couple of the people that were killed and and what a, a day it was in that in belt montana on, you know, it was the day after thanksgiving and it just there was essentially fire well oil and other stuff flowing down the streets. It was on fire. And I think people thought the whole town could go up. Um, and he told a tremendous story. And he's, you know, he used that as a positive influence in his life about his good fortune and, you know, just trying to plug ahead and don't get bogged down in what's happened to us. And that was real interesting. And then one other example is a great false example is in 1946, the collision of the planes at the state fair, which is a good story in itself. But I was able to track down three or four people that were there and witnessed the, that remarkable event. Again, the crowd was estimated at 20,000 people and just the, the 
reaction of seeing these planes collide and part of it falling on the racetrack and another part of the plane falling into a horse barn and and just kind of witnessing this event that was took place literally right in front of them and so and people had very vivid memories even though that was a long time ago the people who were there have not forgotten it yeah so but how long did it take because i think i read that uh, the, the whole covid pandemic thing kind of threw a wrench in uh, getting this book out uh, it may have been may have been out sooner had we not gone through that covid-19 crisis <laughs> yeah well um, you know, I was able to get my work and writing done before the pandemic hit, but then I submitted it to the publisher and they started doing their work on their end. But then the pandemic hit and it kind of threw the whole, well, threw the whole world into, you know, a tumultuous era. But the book publishing business, there was, you know, there was questions about how they were going to be able to sell books and, you know, bookstores weren't open and they couldn't hold you know, book signings and readings and things like that. So, you know, it kind of put that on pause and that went on for quite a while. And, you know, people were being advised not to gather and it, it just created a lot of uncertainty for a lot of businesses, including book publishers. And then toward the end, you know, we sent it to the printer and then all of a sudden there's, there's shortages of paper and there's shortages of ink. And then it's, then it's a shipping issue. And they, so it just kind of went on and on and on. So it was about an 18 month delay from when I was done my end of the book until it actually was released in December. Okay. Yeah. So uh, still relatively uh, recent as far as the uh, release date. Uh, how has the response been so far from what, from what you've heard and from what you've seen? Um, well, just anecdotally, then people that I've heard from and comments I've seen from folks and people seem to like it. And I think they're surprised um, that it's not as gloomy as it sounds, which is encouraging. And I'm, I'm hoping that my goal of, you know, sharing stories that are worth remembering will stick with people and hopefully accomplish something through that. Okay. How can people pick up a copy of this? Uh, is it um, the availability, I guess, how can they get it? Well, yeah, it's in, available in bookstores across the state pretty much. They're, you know, in Great Falls, it's at um, the History Museum and I think it's Cassiopeia, yeah. I'm sure I'm saying that right. And then I think Montana Fish, Wildlife and Parks has it out at their office in Grand Springs, but it's available in history organizations and you know, bookstores. And, and then it's available online too, either through the publisher, Far Country Press, and it is available on Amazon and some of the big national book retailers. Okay, which I know you also did a book uh, fairly recently on uh, uh, the, the Montana Power uh, or the dams uh, throughout the state. Uh, tell us just briefly about uh, what that one's about. Well, it's called Golden Kilowatts, and it was about a kind of a period from about 1890 to, well, really 1958, but the development of the dams on the Missouri and Madison and Clark Fork Rivers in Montana, that the role that those dams played in the industrial development in Montana, the originally, as people in Great Falls are very aware, you know, a lot of the power that was generated, the dams, you know, fueled the smelter and refinery in Black Eagle. And also in the early years, a lot of that power was transmitted down to Butte where it powered mines and smelters and industrial operations there. It, but it also provided electricity for streetcars and street lights and lights in residential homes and in businesses and that sort of thing. And the development of those dams, they're not the biggest dams in Montana, but they played a very outsized role in helping the state grow and prosper and really modernize. And so 
it, it's a narrower book, but I, it's interesting. It's a real interesting period. And I think people don't always realize the role that the dams have played in our state's history when they drive by or read about it in another context. And similarly, I think uh, people can get those at bookstores throughout the state. Uh, can probably be ordered that online as well. Um, the, the, the are available mainly through historical organizations like the History Museum in Great Falls has some, okay. the Montana Historical Society, the kind of in the history organizations in the communities where some of the dams are located. It's not, um, and it's being Northwestern Energy has agreed to publish the book and they are donating all the proceeds from that book to these history organizations. So it's a, that's a real benefit to it. And so, yeah, they essentially they're asking for a $20 donation for the book to these, and it goes to the historic or, or the organization where they bought it. Okay. Uh, Butch, do you got any other books uh, in the works uh, that you're, that you're working on or projects? Um, I, well, I've been doing some magazine articles on various topics, which I enjoy doing and they're a little, easier to bite off. Um, I, I have another idea or two for Montana related books, but you know, they're, they're not completely assembled yet. And so, you know, I'm hoping to do another book or two. Um, but I, I just have to kind of firm up a plan and see if I can get anybody else interested. All right. Well, uh, the name of your current book obviously is, uh, Montana disasters, true stories of treasure state tragedies and triumphs. We look forward to to reading that. And I'm sure, it, uh, as you said, it's doing well and we'll do even better as pe more people learn about it. And thank you so much for, for bringing this uh, important part of Montana history to, to light. Well, thank you. I really appreciate your interest. And, you know, that's the goal is to share the stories and you're, you're doing your part. You've been listening to a conversation with Montana author and journalist Butch Larkham. His most recent book, Montana Disasters, True Stories of Treasure State Tragedies and Triumphs, is available in Montana bookstores now. And next time on McGonagall's Chronicles, Making Montana Connections, cutting-edge research in Montana's Golden Triangle, we visit with Dr. Renee Rehope-Hara, the first woman to lead McLaughlin Research Institute in its nearly 68-year history. Remember, you can subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and I invite you to leave a review of McGonagall's Chronicles. You can also follow the podcast on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for your support. For McGonagall's Chronicles, Making Montana Connections, I'm Tim McGonagall.